these quarterbacks that your team traded for, that my team traded for, and I'm going to go through them, they just haven't worked out. I mean, let's be honest. What do we think about when we think about the NFL and the NFL season? We think about 12 months a year, right? I mean, the NFL is a 12-month deal. Heck, I mean, look, I think the Super Bowl is played uh, just before the Indy 500 now. And then we got NFL Live all day. We got NFL Network every day. We've got all of this stuff. And then the quarterbacks get traded, and then it's the biggest deal ever. And last year, the quarterbacks getting traded came with the added bonus of, oh, I don't know, $230, $240 million price tags. And in your city, you went yay rock. Yay, Rock, go fight, win. Look at us. We're going to be successful. My town did, Indianapolis. A lot of Indianapolis followers on this show, a lot of watchers. Well, guess what? We went Matt Ryan. Oh, man, thank God we don't have Carson Wentz anymore. In our town, the owner continued to talk about Carson Wentz even after he left. In Cleveland, my man El Presidente, Sean Blackstown. They bring over Jacoby Brissett, they sign him, and, of course, they bring Deshaun Watson. And then what do they do? They give him $240 million. They do it right. They only give him a million this year, so the suspension doesn't cost him money. Basically, what they do is they kiss the living backside of Deshaun Watson to make it easy for him. Okay, what's the other trade? Well, we all know Russell Wilson. How'd that work out? How'd that work out? Russell Wilson comes over, and guess what happened? Oh, I don't know. Russell Wilson was a complete flop. A guy that a year ago was considered kind of an offensive savant, Nathaniel Hackett, because of his work with Aaron Rodgers, is out. 15 games, he's done. And Russell Wilson's career is dangling, and I just watched these clowns on uh, Get Up this morning. Uh, The big guy Woodley and Bart Scott and all them just killing him. Because he did a press conference where he looked fake. And I don't blame anybody for killing it. So you bring all of these quarterbacks in. Oh, wait, I got more. I got a whole sheet right here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You folks in Cleveland, man, oh, man, we didn't like Baker Mayfield. We did not like Baker Mayfield. Anybody but Baker Mayfield. All right, let's go through it. Anybody but Baker Mayfield, you ship him off to Carolina. Carolina folks are like, hey, look, we got the number one pick in the draft. I'm looking right here. Says Baker Mayfield was the number one pick in the draft. Baker Mayfield is now, well, he's gone from Carolina. He's doing good things for the Rams. Maybe this works out for Baker Mayfield. But in terms of a trade, it didn't work out for Carolina. Carolina, it worked out going back to old reliables. Carolina actually is in the hunt. We're going to get to Steve Wilkes in a minute. Oh, I'm not done. Oh, God, I'm not done. The Washington football red er, commanders made the deal. They got Carson Wentz. They're the third team that's going to reclaim the greatness. That is Carson Wentz. All right? Well, guess what? He's going to start this week. Taylor Heineke showed why Taylor Heineke is a backup. Carson Wentz gets another chance to rejuvenate his career. Let me go through. They're 7-7, seven and seven, mostly without Carson Wentz. 
right? I mean, they are. They're seven and seven, mostly without Carson Wentz. You could say totally without Carson Wentz. Carolina, we think, is doing well. We want to keep the coach. The coach is the man, Steve Wilkes. We're going to talk about that. You know what their record is? After this trade for the number one quarterback in the in the country, at least coming out of college one year, Baker Mayfield, six and nine. Six and nine. I already discussed the catastrophe that went on in Denver. Oh, by the way, uh, the Colts have fired an offensive coordinator. They fired a head coach. They benched, car, uh, they benched the man they're trading for, Matt Ryan. And they're starting another retread who just when you thought quarterback play in Indy couldn't get worse, he threw two and three interceptions. I'm sorry. Did I say two? I meant three. You know who else was traded for this offseason? Drew Locke. You remember that name? Drew Locke. Drew Locke was traded to Seattle. Drew Locke was supposed to be the star. Drew Locke was supposed to be the man. Drew Locke is not the man. Drew Locke is not the man. Drew Locke is on a 7-8 and eight team behind Geno Smith. Can't get on the field. Now, let's go through. Traded quarterbacks. Mayfield, Carolina. Uh-uh. Watson, Browns. Uh-uh. Ryan, Colts. Disaster. Wentz, Washington. Uh-uh. Russell Wilson. Broncos. Disaster plus disaster. Drew Locke. Uh-uh. Let's go through the signings. Your team signed a quarterback. You're all excited. We got a quarterback. Yay, Rock. Go fight win. We got a quarterback. We got Mitchell Trubisky. That's who we signed. Oh, man, let's go. Go fight win. No. No. Jameis Winston. No. Oh, baby, in Atlanta. You know what they did? Atlanta got rid of Matt Ryan, and they brought in Marcus Mariota. Marcus Mariota was going to be to Atlanta. I want you to think about this. Follow me here. Marcus Mariota was going to be to Atlanta what Ryan Tannehill was to the Titans, a reclamation project gone great. Look, you can say whatever you want about Ryan Tannehill and the Titans in the playoffs, throwing a couple interceptions last year. Obviously, he's hurt this year. But let's be totally honest. Ryan Tannehill got it done. Ryan Tannehill led the Titans last year to the number one seed in the AFC. Easy division? Sure. Sure it was. But I got to tell you, you would take that any day of the week. And then you know what you would do? You'd figure it out later. But think about that this offseason. Think about, well, we're signing Nick Foles. Well, when we signed here in Indianapolis, Nick Foles, you know who we signed, according to Chris Ballard? The best backup in the league. That's right. I said it. I meant it. I won't regret it. We got the best backup in the league. You know what we got when we got Matt Ryan? A leader. Oh, my God. Is he a leader? Honest to God. He, he he is a leader. I mean, he can just lead. Let me ask you a question. Those of us that pay attention to this, did any of these work out? Any of them? Like, maybe Deshaun Watson's going to work out. You know, I would say, okay, maybe Deshaun Watson's going to work out. I, I don't know. Seems like. Maybe, maybe Russell Wilson, he cannot be as bad as he was. Look, and then let's go to Derek Carr. Let's go to Derek Carr real quick. So Derek Carr a year ago, 
is leading with an interim coach, goes into Indianapolis, takes over the game. I was there. I swear to God, Derek Carr's like, boom, 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 boom. Next thing you know, Derek Carr's the guy. This is the NFL for you. So Derek Carr leads a team with an interim head coach into the playoffs. Fine. Now comes the quarterback whisper, Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels comes in with all the credentials of a Belichick guy, except when he was a head coach in Denver, he flopped, but he gets another chance. He went and cleansed himself. He got in the holy water, that is, Bill Belichick. And by the way, Belichick does miss it. So now you go to Las Vegas and you add Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams and Derek Carr, man, they played at Fresno. This is awesome. These are all media narratives, but it all doesn't matter. Why, you ask? I'll tell you why. Because the only thing that really matters is how you play. Derek Carr leads the league in interceptions. Josh McDaniel says, you know what? I can tell right now this ain't our guy. So Derek Carr, instead of being humiliated like Matt Ryan is in Indy and having to stand on the sideline with a headset on, acting like he really cares, Derek Carr's just sent home. We'll see you. Adios. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating stuff going on in the NFL. You got to pay attention to it. You seriously got to pay attention to it. I mean, what you got to do is you got to look and you got to look at performance. The Colts took a statue at quarterback with no left tackle. Derek Carr had always been on the edge and now he fell off the cliff. The reclamation project, I got to tell you, of Russell Wilson was startling to me. That shocked me. Everybody knew Baker Mayfield was who Baker Mayfield is. Now, maybe Baker Mayfield isn't, but until further notice, one or two games does not matter to me. Drew Locke's a backup that wasn't any good. So when your team gets all excited, when your team loses its mind, all right, make sure you remember performance matters, period. All right, yesterday, Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy's team plays in a bowl game. And Mike Gundy is a guy that I really like. I don't understand, I did not understand how Mike Gundy was considered a bad guy because, well, a few years ago, he wore some T-shirt and people lost their mind on the T-shirt. It was like an OAN T-shirt. And you're like, all right, who cares? Like, I don't care. I reach in my closet. Uh, you know, if it, I, first of all, I don't have ridiculous T-shirts, so I'm not the, really the guy to talk to. But the fact of the matter is, you know what? I don't really pay attention to anything on my T-shirt. I got one that says uh, North Naples Country Club, which isn't a country club. It's a bar. It's our favorite bar over here. But I digress. So Mike, he loses a game. It's bad enough you got to go in front of the media and explain yourself. Now, look, I understand you want to say I'm in the media. I'm an entertainer. But this is the exchange between Mike Gundy and a reporter after his loss. Earlier, and with the portal now, staff changes happen earlier and earlier in the year. Um, you haven't made any to your staff that you anticipate that happening between now and now. I can't. I, I, you're, you're moving the mind. So staff changes are starting to happen earlier and earlier now with the portal. Um, being a thing, do you, do you anticipate any, making any changes to your staff for now next season? Do you think I would have, tell you if I was making staff changes? No, but I have well, to Then ask. why would you ask? Because I have to. It's my job. Okay, well, I might have to cut you out. I mean, don't be an ass. Really? 
I mean, those, those people's lives, man. Those people's families, right? Okay, don't mess with people's families. Let's do this the right way. You with me on this? I mean, it's not fair to people's families, man. All right, that will conclude our press conference. I'm not mad about the game. I just don't like ignorance. We'll conclude our press conference with Oklahoma State. Thank you, coach, players. Congratulations on being in the guaranteed rate bowl. Best of luck. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you. Good for Mike Gundy. Look, uh, people may have their own problems with it. People may have, well, I got Paul Zeese from uh, from uh, Pittsburgh saying it was a perfectly legitimate standard question. Gundy chose to be a horse's backside, which, by the way, he didn't say, no, I won't be making staff changes. So in some ways, he actually answered the question. Well, if that's your thing, then that's your thing. Hey, you ask any question you want. That's fine. But I'll always defend the guy answering it in the way he wanted to because what Gundy said there was absolutely right. These affect people's livelihood. And, of course, the little kid answering the question did not have to ask that question. He chose to ask that question. Hey, mess around. You get an answer. You don't like the – and I hope Gundy pulls his credentials. That's just me. You may not. Good. It was a horse plate question answered in the exact perfect way because these are families. These are people with families. If you think you got to ask the question, good. Don't whine when you get an answer that you don't like. All right, Trey Wallace coming up. I got to get into a couple things before we get into the college football playoff. I don't know if you saw it, but damn, Kansas, interesting game last night, making a monster comeback. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, welcome back. The great Trey Wallace joins us at T-R-E-Y Wallace underscore. Uh, We're going to talk about a podcast in a minute, but I got to ask you, I'm watching Kansas last night. I had bet Kansas. I thought, oh, man, we got a shot here. And then here came the targeting call. First, it was an unbelievable game. Then we go to double overtime or overtime or regulation. I forget. I guess it was regulation. And then we get a targeting call. Then in the second or third overtime, we get a reverse. And I don't even know what the hell happened. But I know this. Kansas lost and my money went south. Yeah, that was a that was a wild game. Like I had turned it off because there was some really good college basketball on last night as well. So once Arkansas got up 38-13, I'd kind of switched over. I wanted to see what Kentucky was doing against Missouri and whatnot, a couple other games. But then I turned back and, you know, Arkansas's got a chance to put it away. And uh, they fumbled that opportunity away. Kansas was down, what, 15 points with three minutes to go in the game. And they uh, they made a run. And then, yeah, we get to that, that targeting call. Uh, right there in, in in overtime, which you know it has a, a a player ejected for Arkansas. Uh, Kansas ends up putting it in, and then we get down to it, and and KJ Jefferson uh, and and Rock Sanders make a play for Arkansas, and and uh, it was just wild. It was one of those games where you didn't expect it to be good, but thankfully Arkansas's defense allowed Kansas to turn it into a classic Liberty Bowl. I'll take it. Yeah, Liberty Bowl is always great. Like, it's it, it just like always, always fantastic. I don't know why. I don't have the answer to why, but I know 
that it always is. Is there anything I asked you this off air? We've gone through a few weeks now. We got Michigan TCU, then we've got Ohio State Georgia. I personally think Ohio State's going to surprise. I think they're going to beat Georgia, and I think they're going to win national championship. That's just me. But is there anything about anything, practice, bowl games, that has made you at least think differently about either of these games? I, I think that with Ohio State, if they are able to open it up down the field passing game, the, the, the biggest equation of this whole football game Dan, is going to be, can Ohio State's offensive line actually give C.J. Stroud enough time to pass the football? I mean, you've got six foot seven Jalen Carter, 360 pounds, lining up on that defensive line for, for Georgia. It's going to be attacking Stroud the entire game. So my opinion is, you know, Georgia's front seven is so good. If Stroud can get enough time, I think that they can try to open it up down the field with Marvin Harrison Jr. and maybe try to space things out. And that's how I think Ohio State stays in the game. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball uh, as much. Uh, no, I think they get over 100 yards, probably a buck 20, buck 30. But in my opinion, how they're going to beat Georgia is just spacing them out down the field. And, and if they can do that, I anything can happen in Ohio State can can beat Georgia. I just I just feel like right now, you know, there there's too many questions on about the Ohio State offensive line. If we get those questions answered in the first quarter, I might feel comfortable going with your pick, but we're going to have to wait till Saturday to find out. Are people discounting TCU too easily? I think so. I think that they look at TCU and they look at that Big 12 title game that, that they lost. I, I think that they look at the, the TCU defense that has given up some points this year. And I think they think, okay, well, J.J. McCarthy and Michigan, they're just going to run the ball down their throat. And then they're going to you know pass them, hit them deep, and, and they're going to space TCU. And and I just I, – I look at, you know, the Horn Frogs and I think, okay, they got to – uh, Condre Miller, standout running back. You got Max Duggan, who's able to make plays uh, outside the pocket with his feet, get the ball down the field. They have receivers. I think this is, you know, and, and here's the thing, too. Michigan's not overlooking TCU, okay? Last year, Michigan got destroyed by Georgia in the semifinal game. So this is almost like a redemption tour, for Michigan to make it back to get to the national championship game, get past the semifinal. I don't think it's, I don't think it's like Michigan overlooking. Maybe the public is looking at this game and be like, well, how in the world TCU going to hang in this one? I actually think this might be a closer game than the one we get in Atlanta between Georgia and Ohio state. It, it just wouldn't surprise me if TCU takes this game to the fourth quarter and starts causing some problems, Dan. I, you know, I, I I don't know. I think that in the in the Big 12, whatever league it was, playoff game, just give the ball to Max Duggan on the two-yard line, and you're going to go ahead and win. I, I love the kid. I do. But, man, oh, man, I, I know it was only one game. But what – actually, it's more than one game. What Michigan did to Ohio State and what Michigan did to Penn State resonates with me against their best opponents they played the brakes off of them that's 
I don't know, man. That says something about that crew. I know they were bad against Illinois. I get all that kind of stuff. But against the best, Trey, they were damn good. You don't. Here's the thing about Michigan, and, and the same can be said for Georgia. There are only certain amount of games a year where you have to make that little button inside your head, flip it, click it, and, and say, okay, we got to buckle down here. Like, this is the game that we got to get up for. You know, Tennessee, you know, I could say, okay, no, I'm sorry, Georgia. I could say, okay, well, they had to get up. You know, there were a couple games. It was the Kentucky game, the Tennessee game, and then LSU and the SEC championship. We saw them play down a little bit, you know, to Missouri. Um, you know, there were other games, the Kent State game. But they yeah, it's a, it's a long game. season, right? Right. Yeah. It's a long yeah. season. So the same yeah. thing we said for Michigan. Like, you know, there are certain games where, okay, they're not sleepwalking, but then you walk into other games like, okay, we're about to beat somebody up. Let, uh, let, let's flip the switch. So I, I think Michigan, that's what you're going to see. Uh, I think they go out in the Fiesta Bowl, and I think it's a hell of a football game. But I do think Michigan is going to flip that switch, and you're going to have problems with the quarterback and J.J. McCarthy. Um, I know they don't have Blake Corm at running back, but I, I just feel like this Michigan team's not like teams in the past, Dan, where we would see them not show up for games like this. This is a different Wolverine squad, man, and, and that's why I think they're going to be playing for a national championship. Is this a – what's the right word? Is this a ultimate Big Ten versus SEC deal? It, like, okay, you got the dream matchup. Let's be honest. You know, in the Big Ten, well, we're really good. The SEC, it just means more. I oh, don't even talk to me about the Big Ten. The SEC is just better. This game, I think Ohio State and Georgia, or then Georgia and Michigan, is like a referendum on who is the best league. Don't even try it. Don't even talk about it. I I don't disagree. And I, and I go back to – you know, some people might want to see, you know, the SEC versus Big Ten in, in the national championship game. Well, I mean, it's hard to forget. Last year in Indianapolis, we had Bama versus Georgia, you know, an all-SEC final. Um, now, what would that look like with Ohio State-Michigan in a national championship game? I don't know. I think it would be fun and cool because it's not, it's not just any other, like, SEC game like last year between Alabama and Georgia. This is like a hateful rivalry right. between Ohio State and Michigan. So them playing for a national championship game, my goodness. I mean, talk about, you know, taking excitement level to a 10. So, I, I, you know, if we get Georgia, if we get, you know, Michigan, a rematch from last year's semifinal game, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be all week long, you know, Big Ten, SEC, who's more dominant, who could do it again and whatnot. Can Michigan finally get over that hump and win it? But, yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're sitting here at the moment, and, you know, it, it, it is the SEC Big Ten. Then you got the Big 12 with TCU, but TC, the Big 12 is going to look different in a couple of years. There's going to be some changes. This is just feels like, man, we can't – here's the thing. We can't get a bad matchup, I don't think, in the National Championship game. Unless Michigan fumbles the ball six times against TCU and the Horn Frogs somehow win, and they have to play Georgia, you know, or Ohio State in the national championship game, well, we're set, man. I think we're going to get Michigan, 
And then we're going to get either Georgia or Ohio State. And, man, sign me up for that. I agree. I, look, I, I think it's going to be fascinating. Are we, are we giving Michigan too much credit? Are we giving Ohio State too much heat for one game? I, uh, no, because we, we, we look at Ohio State and we look at the overall schedule during the year. Um, you know, you, you have to look at non-conference schedules. You have to look at Michigan and their schedule. I think Michigan was just the more dominant team uh, over the course of the season. I, I think that that game, I mean, honestly, I, I think Michigan just came out and just, just, just pounded them in, in the running game. And then J.J. McCarthy was able to, you know, do what he does at quarterback and get out in space and, and beat them down the field. And, you know, there was – it wasn't like there was, you know, some big game-changing instance where Ohio State just didn't show up. Like Michigan walked into their house and just beat them down. And I think we that we have seen if you cause enough problems for CJ Stroud, this is the outcome that's going to happen. So, you know, if Michigan and Ohio State played again, you know, let's just say they played again that next week, I think Michigan would have won again. But I, but I do think that when you look at it overall, Ohio State could have been a little bit better, but Michigan exposed them. So how does that play out over the next two weeks is going to be fascinating to me, especially if we get a rematch for a national championship game. Because Trey, the, Trey the, I talked about yeah. quarterbacks in the NFL earlier. I said, look, Matt Ryan gets traded flop. Wilson traded flop. Derek Carr now bench for whatever for whatever the reason, right? Baker yeah. Mayfield traded flop. Marcus Mariota signed flop. Carson Wentz traded flop. Drew Locke traded flop. Trubisky signed flop. Uh, Winston signed, you know, nothing happened with Winston. Flop. Here you have Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud as maybe one and two in the draft. How important is this for those two guys to play? Well, I think it is massive. And I think it's because the, the quarterback class this year, Dan, is, is not as uh, deep, as good, in my opinion, as, as some of the previous years. Um, Bryce Young is going to be a guy that some team is going to be happy to get Bryce Young. Uh, he's going to have to learn the, the NFL system. I think he can be good in the NFL. Uh, he's going to get to get past, you know, the, the the size advantage thing, the height thing, and I don't I don't see that being that big of a deal because of what he's done at Alabama against NFL type players. And the same can be said for CJ Stroud. You know, I, I'm interested to see how he looks over this next game and can he elevate, you know, in any way what the potential in the future looks like for him down the road when it comes to the NFL. But I mean, look. Then we, I've got people telling me that that Will Levis is a top five draft pick oh. from Kentucky, and I just want to ask them, who have you been watching all season long? Like, what what am I missing right now with Will Levis being a top five pick? So what I'm what I'm getting at is that you can tell this draft class is not as good as in years past. If we're talking about Levis as a top five pick, who had many problems this year, so. You know, I think Stroud and, and Bryce Young, they, they'll have good games. Um, uh, you know, you don't want to risk the injury, Dan. You know that to Bryce Young in that Sugar Bowl game. 
Uh, but he's going to stick it out. He's going to play. So I give him a hat tip for that. He, he, all right. Here's the other deal, Trey, to your Will Levis comment. I'm so sick and tired of the Zach Wilsons of the world that make a freaking throw with headphones on. And next thing you know, Mitchell Trubisky, Zach Wilson, all these guys are moving up in the trap because of some crap. That's what I feel about Will Levis. Will Levis moving up in the draft, my backside. I saw that guy. He's all right. I I don't I don't disagree. We have to, you know, we have to take we have to take these quarterbacks, man, and and be able to try to see what they look like in the NFL down the road, like and, and try to picture it. Like, can this guy lead your organization? It's not just about being a quarterback in the NFL. It's about being the leader of an organization. You know, a perfect example to me is, you know, you you look what Justin Herbert's doing. You know, I I, I think with him, when he came out of college, you know, you looked at a quarterback, prototypical NFL guy, has the size, the strength, the arm, and, 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 and there's more. I mean, you can name them. But I think when some folks get fascinated with, with a couple guys, Zach Wilson could be one of them. And maybe the kid can be good somewhere else. I have no idea. But to me, he doesn't feel like an NFL quarterback. And I watched him play in person um, and, and beat Tennessee about four years ago in the last 20 seconds. The kid's got a hell of an arm. I think the problem is, you know, you you we elevate some of these quarterbacks coming out of college and we think, okay, well, they can go in and, and they can be a, a day one starter and change an organization around. Man, you don't know what's going through a 22-year-old's head. So you're taking a risk. And once these guys finally start realizing, if you don't have the sure thing, and I'm talking sure thing, uh, I I think they're going to continue to be a mess when it comes to the NFL and and trying to draft some of these guys. Uh, My guy, C. Fitch, says, hey, will you ask Trey about Will Levis? We just talked about him. Will Levis compared to Josh Allen, Carson Wentz by NFL GM. Maybe Carson Wentz, but he ain't no Josh Allen, at least not yet. I <laughs> no, he's not Josh. No. Allen. Um, he is he has got a good arm. Okay. He has the ability to, to to get outside the pocket and truck somebody, but he doesn't have the intangibles right now. I feel personally, after watching him for I've watched him for two and a half years now, uh, and covering the SEC. You know, this this kid, you know, he's got potential, man. But to me, it's not top five. It's not top ten. I and, and I'm not trying to be hateful towards a young man. I'm just being honest. Like I saw games this year, you know, where he's throwing pick sixes and he's fumbled the ball and he can't, you know, lead his team, you know, down the field and he can't motivate his squad to beat Vanderbilt at home. And you're wondering, okay, where's leadership qualities out of this as well? So you know, I, I just I wish people would kind of calm down a little bit on Will Levis because you're also for him, Dan, you're putting some high expectations on him. So it's like, if he doesn't live up to it, he's screwed. So I, I, you know, if anybody, I get killed for this comparison, Dan, but if anybody, he reminds me of a better Tim Tebow. Like he is able to get outside the pocket. He's able to run down a linebacker. He can throw the ball down the field. Uh, he has the ability to get outside the pocket as well. Like he's a much better Tim Tebow. Like he can throw the ball. Like Josh Allen, that that's a big that's a big leap. 
But yeah. um, but we'll see. Maybe he lives up to it down the road. Hell, I don't know. Holton Allers, baby, the lefty from ECU. Boom! How about him, Trey? You you got deep into that game the other night, didn't you? Don't lie. I know you did. I know you did. <laughs> I'm, tell, I'm telling you. we It's been fun, man. Hey, look, we're getting some cool bowl games. Like, some of this stuff is actually panning out. And, uh, yeah, East Carolina – uh, we, 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 we saw last night that, uh, you know, Ole Miss just, man, got the, the brakes beat off of them by Texas Tech. Uh, so Lane Kiffin took the L last night. Um, it, it's, it's been an interesting bowl season and some of these teams better figure out how to, you know, set up next season, 2023. And you know this, Dan, like these guys, these bowl games, all it is is like a tryout for 2023 for some of these players. So, you know, uh, until we get into the to to the bigger games, but um, I know. I, but I tell you, I love bowl season, Trey. I love I love turning my TV on. I know I'm down here. I got a couple more days in the sun. I I go to the pool and I turn on my app, and there's a there's a game on, and my brother's texting me, "Who are we betting on today?" It's the middle of the day. I love bowl season. I do. I love it. I think I- it's great. I'll take it any day of the week. Yes. Complaining about bowl games, I love it. Just look at look at last night with Bo Nix and Drake May, North Carolina versus Oregon. Look at the game we got out of that. So if folks want to complain about bowl games, that's fine. And by the way, we also got college basketball at the same time and some damn good games. I mean, Missouri just beating up on Kentucky last oh. night. LSU beating Arkansas. I mean, we're Bring it all on, Dan. Just give me an overload of sports, brother. I was watching. I was texting with Bruce Pearl after his game last night. I mean, I yeah. I don't know how I found the game. I got home. I was flipping channels, and it was about five minutes to go. I got enthralled. It was it was Florida and Auburn. I couldn't stop watching. And then I'm I'm reading a Kentucky score going. Missouri is and Dennis Gates is just beating the brakes off of Kentucky. Yeah, give it it. Give me it all. Give me everything, my friend. It was a fun night of basketball. We're going to have yeah. a lot more of it during the season. And, uh, yeah, Auburn gets the win. Missouri looks good. You know, there, there, there's going to be some fun ones during the year, man. We're just getting started, brother. Yeah, appreciate you, my friend. Hey, Trey, talk to me about real quick. Give me the podcast info. What we got? Yeah, absolutely. Had Connor O'Gara uh, yesterday come on from Saturday down south. We broke down the college football playoff, talked about our biggest disappointments of the 2022 season, looking ahead to 2023 with quarterbacks. Great conversation. Uh, urge all you guys to go check out my Twitter feed. You can find all the links, Apple, Spotify, Trey Wallace podcast, man. We're just continuing to build an outkick, man. That's all we're doing, Dan. We're just continuing just to build winning. You got it, brother. Just telling the truth and winning, baby. Thank you, Trey. Be good, brother. Thank you. All right. That at Trey, T-R-E-Y Wallace underscore. Go find the podcast and go read. I'm just telling you, it's the best source of college football, basketball information that you will find. We got a monster today. Look, here's the deal. Brian Erlacher, the Hall of Fame linebacker for the Colts, has been down to the southern border twice. He went down to Arizona. You're not going to believe what he sees down there. He's joining us at 10 o'clock. When we come back, I got some headlines, including a couple you are absolutely not going to believe. We'll be right back.
thing that I question with Ohio State is, do they have that gear? Because when they've been punched in the mouth, as we've seen the past two years against Michigan, they've wilted. And they haven't been this team that can play that 60-minute game against a team that is on that level talent-wise with them. And I wonder how they're going to stack up protecting against that Georgia defensive line, which we know. Jalen Carter, you're going to sign up to play 60 minutes against that dude. Good luck. Ladies and gentlemen, I guarantee you, I'm going to go to the YouTube chat here in a minute, and I'm going to find out if any of you did this. But I loved Terrell Owens, his show. Yes. No, you thought I was going to say as a wide receiver. No. Terrell Owens had a very, I don't know if it was short-lived. It was short-lived for me because I didn't get to see it. Very when it was on, I watched, and then it all of a sudden went away. But I like Terrell Owens. He's forty nine years old now. He is ripped, and guess what? Um, his agent has been in contact with the Cowboys about rejoining the team. We've been in constant communication. His agent says with Jerry Jones over the last few days about the possibility of him returning. Now, let me, let me explain something to you. There is zero chance that I would allow, were I Jerry Jones, Terrell Owens to join my football team. No, less than zero chance I would allow Terrell Owens to join my football team. Not a chance in holy you-know-what. But I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of the guy. The guy on his reality show was unbelievable. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, congratulations, because I don't think anybody knows what I'm talking about when I talk about Terrell Owens's. I, I don't think any of you do when I talk about his reality show. But I'm telling you, it was good. It was fantastic. And it was an absolute blast. To watch. I loved it. I, I loved, I, I didn't like it. I loved his reality show. So, Jerry Jones, do yourself a favor. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Resist the urge. When he was there, he was a pain in the you know what. Don't even think about doing it. And the reason you have to say this to Jerry Jones is because we all know that Jerry Jones likes this kind of thing, right? This is his kind of bag. This is his deal. Oh, man, we got Terrell Owens to come in. And the rest of the world goes, well, you're an idiot. Well, he goes, no, I'm smarter than everybody. And then I ask a simple question. When has this ever worked out? The answer is no. Um, this is an odd story. Do you remember going back? Do you remember going back a few years, David Ortiz was sitting in a casino and a bunch of dudes came up and tried to kill him. And initially, it was seen as mistaken identity. People said, well, Ortiz was not the guy that they intended to shoot. Well, apparently, uh, he was. Apparently, 10 people have been involved and convicted in the 2019 hit, attempted hit, 
on David Ortiz. Yes, that David Ortiz, Big Poppy, the guy who somehow went from like 18 home runs to 40-some home runs in the middle of the steroid era, and no one ever said he was on steroids. Now listen to this. Uh, two guys, Ralphie Ferreira Cruz was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Eight others received prison sentences between five and 20 years. Three others, like there's 13 people in this, 10 convicted. Three others were acquitted due to insufficient evidence, including Victor Hugo Gomez Vasquez, who was accused of planning the attack. He was, these guys were drug dealers, Dominican drug dealers who were jealous of Big Poppy. Man, now there was, there was a theory. Now this is interesting. The findings and the convictions contradict a police commissioner, former police commissioner in Boston named Edward Davis. Um, he said the hitmen were hired to shoot Ortiz's cousin, Sixto David Fernandez, who was sitting at the same table. All right. I don't know. Among the crimes were criminal organ or having a criminal organization, basically the RICO Act here in the United States, use of illegal firearms, attempted murder, and complicity to murder. These clowns, uh, I guess more will be released February 8th. But again, it was very, very odd that the United States guys are like, yeah, you know, this was just mistaken identity. They were trying to protect Big Poppy in some way. I'm telling you, man, and this stinks. This really stinks. But I, I'm telling you, the, the idea of our law enforcement never, ever telling the truth to us is disgusting. I'm reading a book about five presidents. It's called Five Presidents. And one of them, uh, one of the... Um, the deals is this. They talk about how Dwight Eisenhower, I, uh, what's the right word, uh, approved of spy planes. The last possible mission got shot down and it ruined his credibility. And it talks about how the government lied and lied and lied. I, I just disgust me. It does. It, it, it just disgusts me. All right, let's talk. We talked earlier about quarterbacks. We talked earlier about how, look, even Baker Mayfield, think about it. Baker Mayfield was out in Cleveland. He gets traded. He shows up in Carolina. Carolina gets off to a one and four start. Guess what? Matt Rule gone. Steve Wilkes in. Steve Wilkes, after a one and four start, has gone five and five. Now, think about this. You start one and four, which means your team stinks, and you at least get them to 500. They're not. They're 6-9, and nine, but he coached them to a 500 record. Their defensive tackle, Derek Brown and others, say, look, I'll speak for everyone in the locker room, Brown said, in that we want Coach Wilkes to be our head coach. That's for sure. I think every single week we're going to come in. He's going to tell you exactly how it is. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He keeps it plain Jane, per se. He lets you know what's going on. You could be one of the best players. 
But you walk into that building on Monday, he's going to tell you exactly how he felt about how you play. That's level of clarity. That's exactly what we want. How many times have I told you on this show? How many times have I said professional athletes don't want to be coddled? Professional athletes, college athletes see kindness as weakness. Now, you got to balance being a, well, a meanie. You got to balance being a meanie. You got to balance doing things like, well, uh, you're too mean to me. But in balancing it, you get the opportunity, if you do it right, to tell people what is actual. I coached for 27 years. Honest to God, players respected. Here is a record after 10 games as a head coach of the Panthers. Look at my man, Davey Hudson. Listen to this. Steve Wilkes, five and five. Dom Capers, four and six. George Seifert, four and six. John Fox, three and seven. Matt Rule, three and seven. Ron Rivera, two and eight. Got some pretty good coaches. Seifert won a Super Bowl. Fox won a Super Bowl. Rivera, when he was with the Bears, I remember him as a great player, but he's doing a heck of a job right now steering a ship that is insane. But anyway, so Wilkes was fired by the Cardinals after going three and 13 in one year, which has now become, ladies and gentlemen, the one-year deal has now become a thing in the NFL. So I don't know. Look, I don't know whether they should keep the guy or not. I think it's always dangerous to say, hey, look, we're going to keep a guy uh, because, well, we like him. He's our coach. I think that's always dangerous. I think you've got to put guys, professional athletes, in the best situations possible, and one of those is getting the best coaching staff possible. And if Steve Wilkes is that, then fine. Certainly one of the things is players' endorsement, but it can't be the only thing, let's be honest. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, Kane Velasquez, man, um, he, according to court documents, is going to trial, all right? He is going to trial because, ladies and gentlemen, because, and he is uh, uh, facing attempted murder charges for attacking the person that molested his four-year-old son. He was released last month after eight months in prison on a million-dollar bail. He's got to wear a GPS. You know, honest to God, when he was in jail, he said he hung out with a small group of inmates. He was arrested last February after he shot at a pickup truck carrying the man, hitting, hitting the, carrying the man who molested his son. He was in three cities they drove through. Then he decided he was going to smash the car. I don't know what to tell you. He claims Velasquez does in a civil suit that Harry Gularte sexually molested his son while his boy was attending a daycare ran by his mother, Galarte's mother. Now, I got to tell you, if this is true, man, oh, man, it'd be hard for me to convict. I got to tell you, I wouldn't convict. I wouldn't. Uh, I'm sorry. He said, my, ran, my mind ran both sides, but the bad side, the good side. Uh, we always continue to have faith. doesn't matter what position we're in, where we're at. We're always going to look for the best case scenario for us and just know that our lives are something much bigger and it is all going to work out for the best. 
Velasquez said. He said while he was in prison, it was low-key, only a few people I kind of hung out with. I guess the good thing about it is you got a lot of alone time. The bad thing is you got a lot of alone time. So anyway, man, is that a sad story? That's a sad story on a lot of different levels, but mostly about his son being freaking molested by some idiot. Um, yeah, it's horrible. It's absolutely freaking horrible. All right, the libs of TikTok creator Kayla Reichick, she said that Governor DeSantis offered a safe stay at the governor's mansion. All right? The governor's mansion, this is where the libs of TikTok, the lady, was offered to stay after Taylor Lorenz, that idiot for the Washington Post. I mean, is there a bigger idiot than Taylor Lorenz? I don't even know who she is. I just pay attention because the boys and gals at OutKick uh, are all over this. So I read about this Taylor Lorenz. I got to tell you, uh, all I know is this. Taylor Lorenz is an idiot. She threatened Docs, went to the house of the libs of TikTok's owner, person that runs it, the whole deal. Next thing you know, threats were made because, well, people are idiots and they make threats when they know that there's no chance of them carrying out the threat, or is there any chance of them being caught? So good for the governor. DeSantis said, hey, look, here's the deal. You stay at the crib. You stay at the mansion. Let's go. You stay at the mansion. You come hang. You're safe here because people are idiots. They just are fools. However, ladies and gentlemen, there's some really good people in this world. Really good. One of them is Brian Erlacher. Brian Erlacher did something that I cannot believe our president, who says he is too busy to do, our vice president, heels up, Camilla heels up Harris, is too busy to do. Um, Brian Erlacher and another group went down to the Yuma, Arizona border. It's Brian's second trip down there. You know him as the Hall of Fame linebacker. I first knew him when I went to Lovington, New Mexico, to recruit a player named Taman Domzowski. And they told me about this safety that they had. He was one of the best players in the country. And I'm like, yeah, well, I got to tell you, it took me a year to get from Bloomington, Indiana, to Lovington, New Mexico. So I don't buy that there's anybody here other than Taman Domzowski. Turns out Taman Domzowski went to Duke, didn't play much. Brian Erlacher became a Hall of Fame. I got some numbers that I'm going to run by. Did you know 80% of illegal migrants crossing the border are adult men? Did you know every single illegal migrant that crosses the border has paid the, the cartels five to 14 grand? Did you know cartels are making $39 million per sector per week on human trafficking? And somehow, some way, we don't do nothing about it. Did you know that 14 Border Patrol agents committed suicide last year, three in the last month, so the number is going up? It is horrific what is, thank you, it is horrific what is happening on our borders. And we had Dan Pastorini on. And Dan Pastorini was great with it. I'm looking so forward. We're going to get Brian Erlacher hooked up here. You do not want to miss this. Go tell your buddies. You do not want to miss this. Tune into our show. It's going to be unbelievable. Can't wait to talk to the Hall of Famer, Brian Erlacher. That's it. I got to take a break. 
We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. Look, you got to understand, growing up in Gary, Indiana, I was a Bears fan going back to Abe Gibran, Bob Avellini. I mean, you can't even tell me. Walter Payton's still my all-time favorite player. I wore number 61 because, uh, because of Wally Chambers, actually number 60 because Wally Chambers. So I followed the Bears and Brian Erlacher. Um, when he went to the Bears, I'll never forget going, man, I remember that kid back in Lovington, New Mexico. He was uh, the basketball coach. I was recruiting a kid, Taman Domzowski. They had this kid. Oh, he's going to be the greatest player. And I'm like, come on, Lovington, New Mexico, get out of here. They can't have two. One went to Duke. Brian Erlacher joins us. I followed you forever. It's a thrill to talk to you. Thanks for the time, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming to Lovington. Not a lot of people can say that. It's a, it's a tough place to get to. I just I remember, I'll never forget, driving yeah. and I'm seeing oil wells. Oil fields everywhere. <laughs> Tumble people leaves, don't know dirt. you were a safety your whole life. Yeah, I was a safety until I got to the Bears. And I played, uh, actually, one year in college, I played linebacker. But in high school, I was free. And then Coach Long got to the next school and put me back at free safety again. I, it was good for me because I got a chance to run around and make some plays. Let me ask you before, I want to get into the board. That's the crux. But I, I got to yeah. ask you. Were you a highly recruited guy? I had one offer. I had the University of New Mexico was the only offer I had. I took my visit, and Coach Franchoni said, well, I took an offer of your scholarship. If you don't take it now, we'll give it to somebody else. I was like, I'll take it. Sign me up. I'd love to go to UNM. <laughs> so that was my only offer, and uh, it worked out pretty good. Yeah, it worked out really good. I yeah, mean, damn, Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Not bad. I mean, hey. Worked out uh, pretty and, good. And an all-time. See, one of the positions in sports that's legendary is middle linebacker for the Chicago Bears, right? Sure. Yep. Was there pressure playing? Like, did you I, – I, I, you seem like the kind of guy that would understand Singletary and Bud Kiss and George and all the Bill guys. Bill George, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Bill George. No one ever talks about Bill George, the first middle linebacker, uh, to my knowledge, in NFL history. But there was no pressure early on. I didn't understand. You know, I grew up a, a Dallas Cowboy fan in New Mexico. So I had Bears. I knew Walter Payton. Just like you, he's my all-time favorite uh, Bear. I, lo- I love Walter Payton. I never got a chance to meet him. But he's definitely my favorite. But there was no pressure. You know, I just – I enjoy playing football. Uh, the media always talked about comparing me to, to the Singletary and Buckus. I'm like, look, man. Those guys are in the Hall of Fame, and this is early on in my career. Obviously, they're in the Hall of Fame. I'm just happy to be in the tradition that they that they that they set forth before me. And let me let me get better, and we'll talk at the end. And obviously, I turned out okay. But what the the Bears fans love defense. That's the one great thing about that season. They love defense. Um, let me go to your visit. Um, this is the second yeah. time you've gone down uh, to the southern border. You went to Yuma. What did you see? What 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 can you tell people? Um, that have no idea what is actual down there. What you see on TV or the little, the little bit you see on TV is nothing like reality. You know, we've been down there, I want to say in late September, the first time, and we're, we're driving in the air, the boats up and down the, uh, the I think it's Colorado River, and there's literally six guys walking to, to the United States. You know, the people in the White House say that uh, they don't just walk across. They walk across. They walk across. They get arrested. They go to processing, and they get released two days later, whether it's whether it's in Yuma or if they get on a bus and go somewhere, or they go on a plane and go somewhere. Um, we saw the um, the Biden Obama. Uh, ca- they're not cages. They're, they're big buildings with uh, glass. You know, you see, you, they're not they're not as bad as they're made out to be um, by the media. Uh, it just and the, the worst thing is the morale of the agents. Man, they're, they're just so because um, nothing's being said good about them on the media. You know, they, they think everyone's against them. Uh, their job they can't do their job because all they do is process 
migrants all day because there's so many they have to take them off the off the wall out of the out of the field and put them in processing centers where they just process migrants all day uh it's just crazy man i i, uh, I this, the last time we went down there was a little better because we uh, we got a chance to meet more of the agents the first time we were just kind of on a tour and we saw everything but uh chief clem does a good job down there for, for the it's not it's not their job it's the policy that's keeping them from doing their jobs they can they can only do what the policy allows them to do but it was frustrating to see the position that their their border patrol agents are put in. Look, uh, Biden, Harris, they run the deal, but you've been there. They haven't. How important or how easy, I guess, would it be to just simply build a wall and secure the wall and go through the process legally to get in? Because I'm I'm reading the notes here. Cartels are making a boat ton of money. Ton of money. Traffic. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much the wall would do, honestly, because the, the policy is what's letting people across. You know, as long as they can walk in any any part across or through a sector, they have to let them in. You know, there's there's really nothing keeping them out because of the policy that's in play right now. There's no stay in Mexico. There's no nothing that was in play in 2020 is, is in now. They've all changed. So they can build the wall. I think that's great. But it won't do any good because the policy still allows people to come in illegally and stay here. I want to go back to something. Uh, 14 agents have committed suicide, three in the last mm-hmm. month. Now, I look at that number and I say, this is not getting better. This is getting worse for agents. Yeah. The things they see, you know, they've got, there's there's little girls and little kids getting raped right on the other side of the border. They're they're trying to, you know, they're, they're seeing that happen. They can't do anything on their side of the border. They're, there's little kids being thrown over the wall or handed across the wall with notes pinned to their chest. Uh, Take me to this address, drop me off here, call this person when I get over they're they're more like caretakers and they have to show some compassion for these kids and these families um so they like i said they can't do their job and the things they're seeing are, are horrendous so i can imagine what they're going through mentally um seeing all this stuff and then to have uh what they think is a you know administration that doesn't support you i want to go back to something you know a kid gets thrown over the wall there's a pin a note there's no vetting right there's no, no vetting you, no go ahead I, I just, yeah, I mean, they're literally finding these kids or these, these, you know, these people on the side that come across the border, or that you'll have a guy carrying two kids with, with notes on them, and then you know they're not if they're not with that person, they can't stay with them, so they have to take, they are, they have to find a person to take care of them on this side. It's just, it's just a big mess, man. They're, the humanitarian crisis that that's creating is really bad, and now that people are sleeping on their side of the border in freezing temperatures, you know, waiting to come across until forty two is lifted, which now it's not going to be, I guess it looks like. But just just a lot of a lot of bad things going on right there on the other side of the border. Isn't it amazing? I mean, this is a different conversation, but isn't it amazing the whining and the moaning about the United States and yet the 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 things people will do to come into the United States? The people who live, most of the people who live here love it. And there's a you know, there's a few that can't stand being here, they want to go somewhere else. And then the the fight that people put up to get here is amazing because they know it's the greatest place on earth. We know it's the greatest place on earth. And, and, and you can tell that by how hard people try to get here. They'll do anything they can to get here. You know, the, the crazy thing is they're coming from Venezuela, Guatemala, the, like the, it's not the Mexican immigrants that, that are coming across the border. It's the people from other countries that are getting across the border and flying to Mexicali and then just basically walking across um, and they're in their nice outfits, you know, they're, they're walking across in high. The girls are walking across in high heel shoes. The men are all dressed up. And then, you know, some of the, the Russians are coming across with $34,000. And when they release them, they just give the money back. They have to put it in the safe until they release them. And then when they release, they give them the money and they go do their own thing in the USA until they have their court date, which is going to be who knows when because they're, they're so busy and backed up. 
Does it offend you? Like, uh, offend may be the wrong word, Brian, so forgive me. But when I see Joe Biden say, well, I got more important things to do than yeah. go to the border. Or I see Harris, yeah. who is in charge of the border, never may. I, offend may be the wrong word. So let me ask it this way. What, what do you think of that? They don't care, obviously. You know, I think offend is a good word because it, it, it's important to me to keep our, our borders safe. I think it's important to most Americans. You know, it should be important to them, but it's not. And you, you can't even get um, Senator Biden to answer a question about it. Uh, you, know, you know, he doesn't answer questions about much, but um, unless it's a set up question. But you see him up there speaking and right when they start asking him about the border, he just turns around and walks off. You know, and you can't uh, Harris Ives in here, you know, answer questions about either. So the, the lack of like empathy and and information they have about it. Maybe they have information. They just don't want to share it with us. It's frustrating to watch. Is this true? I mean, I'm reading the notes here and I was going through them last night. I looked at my wife. I go, this cannot be true. Border patrol agents are being sued by immigrants because of long lines. And I, yeah, I think that is true. And the way they're, they say they're being treated. So if an, if a, if a migrant comes across and they say they're gluten free, and you don't bring them a gluten-free meal, you're mistreating the migrants. Or if they don't get three meals a day, and I'm I'm all about human, uh, I, I mean, you want to take care of them as much as you can, I get it, but they treated great. when Once they get across, they're treated great. They, you know, they get the, the flight wherever they want to go. They get the three meals a day in the um, in the tents that they're staying in. But yeah, to be able to sue a, a border patrol agent for, you know, whatever they're claiming, is, it's just crazy to me. I don't understand how that's even legal. You know, how can you sue someone in the United States if you're not a a citizen of the United States. That that doesn't make sense to me. When you went there, what what what's a day in the life? Like, what's a day in the life of a border patrol agent? I, I, so we didn't. The first time we got there uh, at like ten thirty or eleven in the morning, and they were like, they were like. So at this point, we already had seven hundred crossings this morning. We have seven hundred arrests, and this is just at the U.S. sector. This is one of the smallest ones on the board. Seven hundred arrests before eleven a.m. Um, so they they arrest them all, process them. You know, they get them all through processing, put them all in the tents. And then I think most of, like I said, most of the time they go back to processing the next batch to come in. There's not a whole lot they can do because they don't have enough manpower. You know, their, their budget's been cut $800 million over the past couple of years. So they don't have enough agents in the field. They're hiring other people, other agencies now to come in and uh, do the, pro all this processing. They have to process all these migrants, uh, paperwork and computer work. And then and the, the agents are doing that as well. So they can't be out on the patrol on the border. If I, 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 I'm guessing it's pretty easy for you to see or for me to listen to you and say, my God, if 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 I were a Border Patrol agent, um, what's the point? It, it, that's wrong. But what's the point? You know what you're, I mean? You're right. There's really no I mean, they can't do their job to the, to the way they're supposed to. I think the reason they, they do is they're proud of their jobs. They, they're proud to be border agents. They, there's a lot of pride that takes place there. And if you meet these men and women of the Border Patrol agent, they're awesome. They're great people. Most of them military backgrounds or, or some are involved with the military at some point. But they they care about what's going on on our border. So they want to be down there and try at least try and do their jobs. You know, they're, they're being limited by the policies that are in place. But not many of them that I talk to are happy about what they're allowed to do and not, not to do with the, with the policies that they have to follow. Did did they have they talked to you or did they talk to you? You know, you mentioned the policies and obviously the policies shifted from when Trump was in charge to yeah. what we have right now. Do you have a definition of the difference in policy from Trump to Biden? I don't know the definition. Honestly, I don't. I just know that. So in the first 
So in 2020, there was like 8,200 crossings at uh, at Yuma, legal, you know, illegal, illegal crossings at Yuma. Now there's like 400,000 or 500,000. So there's obviously something's changed in the policy because everyone right. who wants to get across is coming across. I don't know the exact wording on it, but uh, whatever the policies were that were in place before, I think they were working a little better than the ones we have in place now or, or the lack of ones we have in place now. So maybe go back to that if that's a, but that'd be horrible because that, that would be saying Trump did, may, may have done something right, you know, so you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you want to. forbid. Yeah, heaven forbid you say that Trump actually did something right in an area. You'll be called a racist, a sexist, oh. a misogynist, or some kind of phobic. You can't be doing that stuff. No, sir. That's <laughs> highly illegal to, to admit that you actually did something that was good for our country. How does this work? And I don't know if you know the answer to this, but cartels making $39 million Man. per week per sector. So a group wants to get across the border so they reach out to a cartel? Is that how this whole thing works? I'm guessing that's, a, and I don't know the ins and outs of it, but that's a lot of money. They're making more money on, on the trafficking than they are on drugs because the, the traffic, the, the migrants are easier to get across than the drugs are right now. And I, I in my mind, I'm thinking, well, how is that, how is the administration let this go on? Are they making money off it as well? Are they partnering with the cartels to make money off of these people coming across the border? Because if they if they weren't, they would stop it. They would they would put a stop to it and make sure these cartels quit making the money and the and to put the people through what they're going through the migrants is terrible like you see them it's just it's just not it's not it's not good what's going on down there not at all yeah and to your point um it's not like the people coming across the border are coming across in flowing robes and gold chains and wearing Gucci shoes I mean this is a this is a human crisis. This is a human health crisis. Is that yeah, well, barely you what know, you saw? You say that, but then there are some people who come across, like the women are dressed up. Oh, they yeah. Look like, you know, and those are the people that fly from Venezuela. They fly from, like, you know, they, they fly to Mexicali. They literally take a bus to the border, and they walk 500 feet, and they're across the border. That was their trip to get to the United States. And then they're arrested, and they're processed, and then they're like, oh. So they dress up, you know, they want to look good when they get here, so they get dressed up. But that's not the case for, for most of the migrants. They are they have to make that trek across the desert or they're they're coming from somewhere else. That's a little bit harder to get to. But um there are some who um who look pretty nice when they come across that border. Yeah. Brian, you you've been there twice. Um how shocked were you that this is the United States of America that Yeah. It's it's sad, you know. I, I couldn't believe that the, the stories that the border agents tell. Uh, I'm not going to share something on here, but the, the things they see and encounter, just right, like literally watching it happen on the other side of the border, is amazing. Um, I never thought we would be at this point with and what are we at three and a half, four million um, crossings now? The 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 ones that we know about, we don't even know about the gotaways. You know, I, that's probably another million right there as well. So it's just. It's crazy. I still understand where they're all going. That's what's confusing to me. Right. I, I understand that they're coming to the United States, but then where, where do they go? Where do they release them to? Where do they go? Do they go? I just, that's what's confusing to me. A friend of mine was the athletic director of New Mexico. He lives in Albuquerque, which isn't on the border. Well, it's a couple miles north or a couple hours north. And he's like, Dan, I'm telling you, man, this dude's just running through neighborhoods. And we, so I live in Arizona as well. We live in uh, right outside of Phoenix, and we haven't. I haven't seen anything like that here. But when you go to Yuma, when we went to Yuma, you can you, you see the people that have come across the border and they're walking around and stuff like that. So it's just I guess about where you're located. But I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it here. Um, maybe they're the administration's doing a good job of busting them out or flying them out in the middle of the night, so no one knows where they're going. Hey Brian, what? 
what effect did going down there twice have on you? And how happy were Border Patrol agents to see, you know, this is a group that goes and they've made no, numerous trips with this. It's yeah. it's a fifth time this group is going. But how um, how how did it affect you and how happy were the patrol agents to see that somebody gave a rats about it? Yeah. So I didn't go down there to get notoriety or, or, or right. you know, I, I go down, I wanted to see what was going on. I wanted to. And, and Sonia, the, the lady who approached me to, to go down there, asked me if I would go just for the morale of the border agents, let them know that there are people that actually support them and are, are and proud of what they're doing. But I went down there to, to see from my own eyes what was really going on. And it was it was eye opening, man. It was crazy. But then now to get a chance to spread the word and let people know what's really going on. Um, but your, your second question about the agents, so that, that was the big reason. That's why I went back, honestly, because of the agents, because I met a bunch of guys when I was there and women when I was down there. And then to go back and see them, I kept in contact with a couple of them, but just to maybe boost their spirits a little bit, you know, and let them know that there are a lot, a lot of people that support them in the job they're doing or trying to do. Yeah, you're not going to be arrogant and say that I, well, you know, me being down there was a big, no, no but it, it no. is nice for people to act that are doing an impossible job uh, with no support. Yeah. At least no support. At least somebody gives a damn about them and comes to see them. I think that's important. Yeah, and there's been a lot of a lot of trips like this as well. You know, a lot of they they go to different sectors of the border and try and just show them a little as much support as possible. You know, I know there's a lot of people that don't want to go in there, can't go down there, but just to let them know that there are people supporting them and care about the job they're doing, I think it's a big deal to them. Um, let, let me go. Last thing before I let you go, I'm, I'm keeping you. Uh, I feel like I'm keeping you too long, but it's okay. When 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 you see this and. A certain, how do I put this? I'm 60 years old. I've never really not wanted to pay taxes in my life until this year. Right I'm like, our tax dollars. I'm with go you. Ahead. I, go, I'm, ahead. I'll, go ahead and finish, but I agree with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this $1.7 bazillion bill that's going to protect these places. What the hell are we doing in our own place? And you've seen it firsthand. I don't want to pay tax. It's very frustrating when you see that bill that got passed and you look at the Another fifty billion goes to Ukraine again to protect their stuff, and I'm, I, we, they, you know, I know there's a war going on over there, but there's a war going on here for our border. You know, we need to take care of our border, and they keep cutting the border patrol's uh, funding. They're not adding to it; they're cutting their funding. They're giving it to other other places to help them process the migrants, to help them, you know, feed the migrants. So they're 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 fun. They're um, well, their funding is going to. To basically to help the migrants, not to protect our border. It's very frustrating to like, why am I paying taxes if I'm not getting any benefit? And the money that I'm that I'm paying is going everywhere, not in the United States. We're not using it for our for our purposes. It's very frustrating. I'm telling you, man, it's first time in my old ass life. It is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't want to pay when I played either. That's for damn sure. It wasn't uh, it wasn't fun paying those taxes then, but but I didn't. I, I was think I was too young to know the difference, so I, I just knew I had to do it. But now. When you start looking at everything your money is spent on, it's a little frustrating. It is, you know, and you mentioned eight eight hundred million dollars has been cut from these people. Eight hundred million dollars, unbelievable. Of, and and they just passed one point seven trillion. Nothing in there that I heard at, at, to this point was for our border patrol or for our United States border security. Nothing in that package was in there for any of that, as far as I know. Dude, I saw three point six million dollars going to the Michelle Obama trail. Like, yeah. Come on. I mean, what do you need? Three, what's the trail for? I don't understand. I mean, people can hike wherever they want. They don't need a name for a trail to go hiking. I just, yeah, I, I, that's a long conversation as well. Yeah. I, <laughs> that's I, a long I, conversation. I, yeah. I, it just, 
It just, it, again, I, I just, I pay year end taxes. So I just, my account okay. hit me and I'm like, God, I don't want to pay. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't think about it until you're like, Hey, it's, uh, it's that time. You're like, Oh man. So yeah, it's, uh, it's frustrating every year. All right. I'm going to end with a football question. Is there a okay. player that you particularly look at and go, man, I like the way that guy plays. I'm going to go defense, offense, doesn't matter. Is there a guy that you're like, man, that dude is, is Josh bad. Allen. Really? Josh Allen's the best. Uh, he, he's unreal. You know, the, I, I get a little worried for him sometimes because I, I want him to protect himself, but I also love the way he plays when he runs the football. He doesn't go down. And I want I want quarterbacks to slide because I want to see them play in the games. But, man, the way he plays, the uh, just how much better he's gotten. You look at his rookie year compared to now. And he played in my conference. He played in the Mountain West. He played at Wyoming. New Mexico's in the Mountain West with them as well. But just the way he plays the, the game is, is amazing. He's winning. They're fun to watch. Um, he's he's fun. Fun guy to watch. Let me ask you a silly question. People say Josh Allen's the perfect guy to play, to your point about playing out West. He's a perfect guy to play in Buffalo because he was used to playing in conditions that weren't ideal at Wyoming. Is there anything to that? I mean, yes and no. You know, I think you have to – you learn how to play in the cold weather no matter – so I played in New Mexico. We didn't have a lot of cold weather games. And, and right. Chicago, but I played defense, so it's much different than handling football and offense. But I, I think Josh grew up in California and played in maybe a few games in the cold – at Wyoming, you never get used to playing in that weather. It stinks every time you have to play in it, but you just kind of adapt to it and do the best. I think you just get used to the conditions. You know, you're used to, uh, I guess, holding the, the wet or the hard, the cold football. And it, he's just, he's done a good job of adapting to those conditions. That's for damn sure. As a former Bear, you you got to hope that at some point somebody knocks the living hell out of Aaron Rodgers. Man, it's just, <laughs> he's good. You know, I played against him at the end of my, I'm so, uh, it's just you're 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 mad because they had Brett Favre, and then they go to Aaron Rodgers. The last forty years, they've had two quarterbacks. You know, in my career in Chicago, we had twenty one different starting quarterbacks in my thirteen years. It's frustrating, and you're it's just man, it's 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 annoying because they've had a two Hall of Fame quarterbacks the last forty years. But Aaron's good, and if they get in the playoffs, they could they could create some uh, some problems for some teams. As good as the history, going back to Bill George, is of middle linebackers, and you don't have to comment on this. That's as bad as the history of <laughs> the Bears quarterback. quarterbacks is, man. You know, you look at the draft process that the, the Bears have went through with quarterbacks, the uh, the free agency process. It just hasn't it just hasn't worked out the last few years. You know, uh, it's it's frustrating. But you know what? The, hopefully, they'll get it figured out. And now, I guess they're moving uh, out of Soldier Field. So hopefully, before they get to that new stadium, they'll have it figured out. Hey, last, last thing. I grew up going to Soldier Field. I grew up sitting there watching Mike Hartenstein and all these guys mm -hmm. and Plank and the 85 Bears, my favorite team. How bad a field is Soldier Field? So, to, to, as a defensive player, I didn't mind it. You know, it's okay. I, I, I like playing on grass. So, it's natural grass. It's not like that turf stuff you see we are going to bang your head on the ground. You see two are going to concussion every other week playing on that stuff. I I'm not going to complain about it. You know, the kickers don't like it. The receivers don't like it. The DBs don't like it. I liked it because, number one, it kind of slowed the offenses down a little bit because the grass was a little bit longer. The turf was a little bit softer. Yeah. So it, it worked in our favor. But, I, you know, I, I can see why guys don't like it. But it's the same for everybody on the field. You know, whoever's playing that day, it's the exact same for everybody. So I just got to deal with it. Hey, man, I appreciate your time. I kept you too long. But, man, it's that was fascinating fine. to talk to you. It's great. Thanks, Thanks Brian, for having man. me on. I appreciate it. Take care. You got it. That's Brian Erlacher. He went down to the border, man. I mean, I love having I love having guys that do stuff. Like, that's my thing. I, I love talking to people that go out and do stuff, that do a lot of really good stuff. And there's a lady 
uh, and I'm going to say her name wrong, named Sonia uh, Mashmeyer, and she is kind of our connection, and she takes trips, man. It was Brian Erlacher's second trip. It was Sonia's group, their fifth trip down to the border. They had agents from Yuma, from Uvalde, Del Rio, Eagle Pass. Um, it, it, it's just amazing. But what's even more amazing is that we sit here and we don't have a media that is criticizing our president and particularly Kamala Harris, who is in charge of the border. Think about this. When's the last time anybody got on a national program of the legacy media and was uber critical? of Kamala Harris, who was in charge of the border, not going down to the border. How, when's the last time you saw it? Our media could barely, and I mean barely, criticize Joe Biden, barely, for saying, well, we got more important things to do. You know, this is a health crisis. This is a human trafficking crisis. And nobody cares. You know, we act like we care. We say we care. Human trafficking became a thing. Hell, one of the biggest human traffickers, if you go by pimps as a human trafficker, is Snoop Dogg. And you see Snoop Dogg in every freaking commercial that there is. But look, being a pimp, which he admitted to, is a human trafficker. And as somebody that basically hangs out with women, my wife, my stepdaughter, my daughter, I got to tell you, this is absolute crap. But no legacy media. That's why I don't respect. Any legacy media, whether it's the Indy Star, whether it's anything with Gannett, whether it's Watch on TV, you don't see any of it. You know what we complain about? You know what we complain about? We complain about, oh, I don't know. We complain about abortion rights on ESPN. We break in and we complain that we're not going to be allowed to kill little kids. That's what we complain about. We get on TV and I'm looking at ESPN right here and then L. Duncan will get in there and some other idiots will get in there and they'll complain about abortion rights. I haven't heard one single cut in on ESPN or one single cut in anywhere about the horrific conditions that are transpiring right now at our border. And I'm so happy. I'm so, so, so happy that at least some people care enough to discuss, go down, and see what's actual. We hire people to be the president, to be the vice president. The vice president's job is literally, literally to take care of the border. Hasn't done it. Jim Banks, Representative Jim Banks, who is a U.S. Navy and Afghanistan veteran, he's a congressman from the great state of Indiana, put out a tweet while we were talking, and he said, a lot of truth here from Brian Erlacher and Dan Dockich at OutKick. You know, there are people that care, but they're not in power. $800 million. Think about that for a second, will you please? $800 million. Here's what we're concerned about. We want holiday drag shows. I love what Governor DeSantis did. They're investigating a holiday drag show marketed towards children. Remember that, marketed towards children. I would argue that our president and our vice president are among the worst human beings in our country. I would argue that. 
when you talk, and this is the second time we talked to Dan Pastorini, the former quarterback once, and we just talked to Brian Erlacher, people that have been there. These folks are allowing rape. These folks are allowing murder. These folks are allowing murderers and rapists into our country. And here's the key, unvetted. Unvetted. And while they do that, they are moving funds to places like Egypt for their border. Are they doing it for ours? No, not a dime. They're cutting funds in our own country while allowing these atrocities, while allowing rape, while allowing murder, while allowing, and who knows how many more, as illegal illegal migrants come into our country and have nowhere to go and nothing to do and no way to support themselves. What do you think they're going to do? And that may be a ist statement, but again, you have to be a complete idiot in the way you think to not be called a bigot, to not be called a racist, to not be called a phobic. To not, you have to be a complete idiot. You have to believe that men, biological men, can have babies or else you're some kind of phobic. I don't care what you call me. You call me anything you want. Because to not be called, you have to be a complete idiot. I got the damn awards coming up. It's amazing what's going on uh, in our country, honest to God. But the damn awards shall set you free. Hey, uh, hello to everybody on the YouTube chat. Uh, the YouTube chat, always pumping. If you want to watch the show, go to YouTube.com. You will love it. You won't like it. You will absolutely love it. When we come back, I got a lot to get to. I mean, I got a ton. But thanks to Brian Erlacher and thanks to all of the great folks doing fantastic work sending people to the border when our government will freaking not. It makes me crazy. I don't want to pay taxes. I'm getting ready to pay a hell of a lot of six figures in taxes coming up. I'm a blessed man, but I don't want to pay. First time ever. I've always wanted to pay. I've always wanted to do and pay my fair share because we live in the greatest country in the world, but I don't want to pay him. I don't want to pay him, but I also don't want to go to jail. Damn awards next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we do something that, well, we call the uh, Damn Awards. And before you swearing, we're a victim. No, it's called Don't At Me. Ladies and gentlemen, Don't At Me is the name of the show because, well, frankly, I don't want you to at me with negative stuff. At me with positive stuff. Brian Erlacher was fantastic. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for all the comments. Brian Erlacher is an American hero, not just a football hero. But let me tell you who is more of a hero. This damn award is called our Hero Award. This is the stuff I like. Do you remember Tommy Armstrong? Tommy Armstrong was a quarterback at Nebraska and a good one. He is being called a hero. Why? Because he saved a family from a burning house. Armstrong and his mother sprung into action after seeing one of their neighbor's house catch fire. They were down in Gulfport, Mississippi. Let's have a look. And also this morning, a Gulfport family picking up the pieces left behind by a fire. It happened at this home on South Street. You can see the smoke billowing out from the roof. There's major damage both inside and out. Fire crews scrambling to get inside, even using chainsaws. Rushing to make sure all of those hot spots are extinguished. When a neighbor saw the fire, he says he jumped into action and went to, to the rescue to save his friends. 
Uh, saw a bunch of smoke, so I just started grabbing bricks and throwing it through the window. I realized they were trying to get out of the uh, back right window. So I crawled in there and uh, grabbed her, picked her up, and drug her to the window. And we, we got her out. At the end of the day, I was just trying to find her. Uh, it, was, it was more just because I've known her since I was a little kid. Everyone did get out of the house. Some of the people inside the home went to the hospital to get medical treatment. No word yet on what caused the fire. Tommy Armstrong was a really good quarterback in Nebraska, but whatever Tommy Armstrong did uh, is blah, pales in comparison to what he did that night in Gulfport. Let me ask you a question. When you look at a fire, we all think, well, we would run in. We would run in. Well, would you really? I mean, look at that fire right there that we showed it to you earlier. The smoke is billowing out. It's coming. And you know, if you've ever been, even at a bonfire, how many times do people, when there's a bonfire and all of a sudden the wind turns and if the smoke is in your face, you're like, oh, I can't take this. I can't have it. I can't handle it. Right. And you're like, holy cow. Well, man, that dude ran in and saved people. Tommy Armstrong, you are a hero, man. And what I liked about Tommy was that he just said it very matter of fact. Just said, hey, I've known her my whole life. I ran in there, made it happen. That's pretty good. I hope we would all do it. I'd like to think that I would do that, but I can't be certain. Hell, I don't know what I would do. But I know this, Tommy Armstrong did, and man, oh man, oh man, he is a true American hero. I like Gundy. I'm not going to lie. I like Gundy. I like Mike Gundy. I like Mike Gundy's answer the other day. I like, I'm a man, I'm 40. I had it for 14 years on my uh, open to radio show. He's now 55. And I got to tell you, I like everything about it. Look, here's the deal. Before we play the video, when you coach and you have to let somebody go, it's traumatic because you know the wife, you know the kids, they've been at the house, you do fit pictures, you hate it. Now, I get it. Media guys don't understand that. I mean, what do a bunch of reporters sit around and talk about? Oh, you know, remember that time we asked that really cool question of a guy who actually did stuff? So some punk blogger decides that he's going to go out and he's going to ask Mike Gundy about staff changes immediately after losing a game. Now, this idiot isn't a real media guy. He's some little pain-in-the-backside blogger. And people have said to me, well, he's just a young kid. No, uh-uh, adults only. See, this is what I've said. Indiana University men's basketball is 36 little blogger boys that are all trying, trying to get credentials. This is adults only. This is a business, everybody tells me. This isn't just, well, you know what? Let's let any little slappy in. No. No. This is big business. I got guys saying, well, uh, Paul Zeiss from Pittsburgh. How is this a bad question? Standard question. Listen to this. Uh, he knew it was coming, chose to try and bully some young kid doing his job. It was low rent. Bully? So now even this is a victim. Give a listen. Let's listen to the poor victim asking a question of a head coach. Earlier, and with the portal now, staff changes happened earlier and earlier in the year. Um, you have a 
forbid any tier staff yet to anticipate that happening between now and next I can't. You're moving the mind. Well, so staff changes are starting to happen earlier and earlier now with the portal um, being a thing. Do you, do you anticipate any, making any changes to your staff between now and next season? Do you think I would have, tell you if I was making staff changes? No, but I have well, to. Well, then why would you ask? Because well, I have to. It's my job. Okay, well, I might have to cut you out. I mean, don't be an ass. Really? I mean, those, those people's lives, man. Those people's families, right? Okay, don't mess with people's families. Let's do this the right way. You with me on this? I mean, it's not fair to people's families, man. All right, that will conclude our press conference. I'm not mad about the game. I just don't like ignorance. We'll conclude our press conference with Oklahoma State. Thank you, coach, players. Congratulations on being in the guaranteed rate bowl. Awesome. Best of luck. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you. Some punk asked a punk question, and that punk got punk. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, one of the things that stinks about coaching is you got to go in front of these idiots. I mean, next time you are at a game, look over at Press Row and look at the absolute lack of self-respect that every media guy has. They're usually munching nachos, dressed in their cargo shorts, sitting there with a shirt that has uh, this morning's breakfast on it, yesterday's dinner on it, and they sit there and they ask questions of a coach that's worked his brains out, of players that have worked their brains out, and you know what? They wouldn't understand the real answer to the question. And in Indianapolis, with the Indy Star and our columnists and with the ESPN, they always make it about themselves. They always make it about themselves. And, well, you know, I asked this question, really? Wow, what a gutsy guy you are. You really asked a question? Wow. Okay. Well, if you asked a question, okay. People say, well, Dan, it goes both ways. His coaching staff are uh, all adults who make a lot of money. Why are they not open to tough questions? They're open to it. Everybody's open to it. And they are. And uh, they're also open to answering it however in the hell you want. That's it. That is it. He answered it. They're open. People whining about, well, Gundy's was mean. No, uh-uh. Wasn't mean. Gundy did exactly what Gundy should have done. All right? That's just it. All right? Sometimes Google is wrong. Let's get that here. That's one of our awards today. Google is saying that it wasn't its fault. It defined Jew as enjoying and money lendering somebody. What is wrong with you, Google? My family is Jewish. My sister-in-law, my nephews are Jewish. What is wrong with you people? What is wrong with you? Jewish people are awesome. They don't need any more hate from idiot little punk-ass millennials that are running Google. I mean, if, if, and I think it is, if what we saw slithering out of the offices of Twitter is any reflection on social media or other social media companies. 
like Google, whatever you want to describe Google, if it's the same slithering, slimy little D-bags, then it's no freaking wonder that Google screwed this up by being snarky, smart-alecky, insensitive, and basically just jerks. No surprise at all. Not a shock. Those guys carrying those boxes, walking out of Twitter, the offices, is one of the great indictments on our society. I'll tell you why. Because those people had control over too much. Having control, those people, having control over where to go to lunch was too much, much less having control over an election. So when I look at Google or I look at Facebook or I look at Instagram or I look at any of these companies, I say to myself, I guarantee it's the same sniveling little brats that are doing whatever the you know what it is that they want to do without consequence. Now, maybe, maybe, just maybe, with the Twitter files that Musk is putting out, maybe there will be consequence. But I don't know about you. I didn't just say, well, you know, these clowns walking out of the offices of Twitter, they're, they're different than who's running Facebook. Uh-uh. Hell no. They're different than who's running Google. Hell no. Instagram, hell no. TikTok, hell, they might be different than TikTok. They might be because fair, uh, TikTok is, well, TikTok is run by the Chinese and they're taking all of your information. And if that's some kind of ist, I don't give a damn. You're seeing you're seeing states and tr uh, saying, hey, look, our employees on state governed. Uh, what's it called? What is it called? I don't know. Phones, apparatus. You can't use TikTok. Why? Because they're garnering all our information. If you don't believe it, kiss my backside. I don't, you guys are giving me a headache. All right. Watch your racism. How about this award? Apparently, Apple watches are now racist. Apparently. A new lawsuit claims that Apple watches are racist. Uh, Apple Watches, specifically their blood oxygen sensor, are racist against people with skin dark or dark skin tones, according to a class action suit filed on December 24th. Uh, Alex Morales filed the lawsuit on the 24th, not just for him, but on behalf of not only all New York consumers, but consumers in nine other states under consumer fraud laws. Morales purchased his Apple Watch between 20 and 21. And while he was aware the device had pulse oximetry features, he was unaware it was biased towards people with darker skin. That's what he says. Not only does Morales allege Apple Watches are racist, but he also tied the controversy back to the pandemic. Checking both the box of racism and COVID all the way in the same suit is genius. Let's be honest. What do you want to sue for? You're always going to sue for racism. That's just a given. Say, at last night, some kid named Killian Hayes, after being knocked to the bench, came up behind, behind now, uh, Mo Wagner, and punked him right in the back of the head. I said, what a punk move? Guy said, well, you're racist, a black man. 
Can't hit a white man. Doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with hitting somebody in the back of the head. You never hit a woman and you never hit somebody in the back of the head. Back to the lawsuit. For decades, there have been reports that such devices were significantly less accurate in measuring blood oxygen levels based on skin color. This is the lawsuit. The real world significance of this biased lie undressed until the middle of the corona virus pandemic, which converged with a greater awareness of structural racism, which exists in many aspects of society. So what he's saying is once Corona came in, we started looking at racism. And in looking at racism, we found that the Apple Watch oxygen levels are racist. All right. Um, Dan, this isn't the first time that Apple Watches are biased against certain skin tones. In 2015, some Apple Watch wearers complained that black wrist tattoos interfered with the Apple Watch heart sensor. Believe it or not, Apple actually confirmed the tattoo issue. The admission from Apple specifically referenced changes to your skin and the ink from tattoos causing an impact. Yeah, if I were Apple, I'd say, I don't care. Yeah, I don't know. We made a watch for you, Rich. You want to get 1,000 tattoos? Go get 1,000 tattoos. I don't care. I wouldn't care. You want to get a, a tattoo of your ass on your arm? Go do it. Who cares? Don't care. Don't care. It doesn't matter. But we're going to make these watches for people that have skin. And if you don't have skin, uh, are you going to cover up your skin? That's that's on you. Look, Apple watches don't work when I wear my real cool Wonder Woman wristbands. And if they don't work with my real cool Wonder Woman wristbands, that's racist, sexist, misogynist, something is against my Wonder Woman wristbands. I'm not happy about it. Doesn't seem right. Here's some good news. Unlike, well, not unlike Matt Ryan, who is staying with the Colts, but unlike Derek Carr, who is basically told, hey, look, D. Carr, time for you to take a hike. What do you mean? Well, you're not our quarterback anymore. You're not our backup quarterback anymore. You're not anything. So here's what you're going to do. Go home. Yeah, go home. Let's just go home. Well, why do I got to go home? Well, because you're going to be a distraction. You're going to be a distraction. We don't want you around. You, it, it, Jared Stidham's our quarterback. In the case of the Colts, they benched Matt Ryan, and they said, look, we're going to start. Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger is going to be the backup. Okay, Matt Ryan, we're going to humiliate you. You're going to stand on the sideline. You're going to put your earphones in so you hear the calls, and you're going to stand there and listen to the jeers of the fans as they make fun of you. Well, there is a different side of this, and his name is Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker is traveling with the team. Hendon Hooker getting ready to have ACL surgery. Here's what you do with ACL surgery. With ACL surgery, you build up your leg. You build it up. You build up the muscles around your knee. The more you can do before the surgery leads to an easier recovery post-surgery. So Hendon Hooker of the Tennessee Vols wins our Football Guy Award. He's joining the team for the Orange Bowl against Clemson. He's going to be in quarterback meetings. He is going to, ladies and gentlemen, be a part of the team. 
everybody in Vile World wishes that Hand and Hooker were starting at quarterback. However, you got the strongest arm guy in football in Joe Milton quarterbacking your squad. You do. You got the strongest arm guy ever. So, hey, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. There's your football guys. I like Hooker. I like Joe Milton. There's nothing wrong with either of those guys. Those guys are great. So Tennessee, although I will say this, and we can talk about this tomorrow, Tennessee is going to get belly whomped by Clemson. Yeah, I know. I know everybody back there. Corey and Dylan and Ryan and Davey and everybody, Chuck. Well, Chuck, maybe not. He's from Indiana. But everybody's a Vile State. And you're about ready to get boat raced. That's right. I said it. I meant it. Clemson going to boat race you regardless of whether or not Hooker plays. Now, let me ask you a question. You see this right now? You see Siri is on. I never said a Siri. I want to talk about this. I never said. Now I did, so it's on now. But I never said, hey, Siri, be careful, people. Here's what happened the other day, and I do want to talk about this. You guys on the YouTube chat, listen up. You're going to be all in on this. I guarantee you. So the other day, I'm driving. I'm here in Naples. And we go past this building called Arthrax. Arthrax is a medical supply company. So Arthrax, get off, Siri. I've never heard of Arthrax, except that my daughter's boyfriend works for Arthrax. And he says, hey, look, I come to Naples a lot because that's where our headquarters are. We drive by. We see Arthrax. Now, follow me here. Don't leave me. We follow Arthrax. We find Arthrax. You know what happens? We talk about it. We see it. I go home. Day's over. I open my phone. I look at my Twitter. You know what's promoted? If you're looking for a job, if you're looking for a job, think about Arthrax. What? They're listening, people. I know you know this, Bill Martin. They are listening to people, to us at every turn. Ladies and gentlemen, every turn they are listening. Like I just showed you, I did not say anything about Siri, nothing. And all of a sudden, Siri came on. They are listening. And they're scary because they can find you. Now, who's they? I don't really know. But they can find you. All of a sudden, if you're looking for a job for Arthrax, well, let me tell you, if you're looking for a job at Arthrax, there you go. Dan, Sean Black says, the amount of Facebook ads that come up that are questioning is interesting. Yes, it is, Sean Black, El Presidente. It is interesting. All of a sudden, these ads are popping up. All of a sudden, what? They're listening. I did not say anything about Siri. And by the way, my wife's kind of hot. But anyway, and there it was, right there, turning it on. Don't commit murder and talk about it if you have Siri, if you have Google, whatever 
you have. Don't listen. Don't admit to your murders. All right? Don't do it. All right. Uh, Novak Djokovic, baby. Novak Djokovic is back in business. Novak Djokovic has or was in 2022 deported from the Australian Open. Now, Novak Djokovic is one of my people, my Balkan brother. So he didn't get vaccinated. If you remember the story last year, he gets the boot. He has his visa canceled, deported in January from, from Australia. Now, he's back. He has back. The regulations that put Novak Djokovic in deportation have been lifted. So Novak Djokovic is back in. The government overturned a three-year ban that came with Djokovic's deportation. They said, nah, that's not fair. They granted him a visa to return for the U.S. Open, which begins January 16. He arrived Tuesday in Australia. He's going to play the Adelaide Invitational, a prep tournament. It's great to be back in Australia, Djokovic said. It's a country where I've had tremendous success in my career, particularly in Melbourne. It's by far my most successful Grand Slam. I'll do my best to play good tennis, forgetting about deportation. He said, Obviously, what happened 12 months ago was not easy for me, not easy for my family, not easy for anyone that is close to me. It's disappointing to have to leave a country like that. You can't forget those events. It's one of the things that stays with you for the rest of your life. It is something that I never experienced, hopefully will never experience again. But it's a valuable life experience, and I am moving forward. Good for you. And good for everybody having common sense, because let's be honest, the Australian government could have said, hey, look, we gave you a three-year ban. It's a three-year ban. What are you going to do? Would have seemed a bit silly, I think. I think it would have seemed a tad silly to continue on that path. But hey, it is what it is. All right, let's go to Tom Brady as we end the show. By the way, Urban Meyer, tomorrow... 9.15, he made some comments about the talent level of Ohio State relative to Georgia that I agree with. People forget Ohio State got a ton of talent, people. Ohio State ain't no joke when it comes to ability. But let's talk Tom Brady, Adam Schefter. On this day, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Brady has spent exactly half of his life in the NFL. He was 22, eight months 13 days, that's 8,292 days old when he was selected, 199, day two, 2000 NFL draft. Today, today is 22 years, 8 months, 13 days, 8,292 days since he was drafted. That's incredible. That is unbelievable. I wonder if that's ever happened before. George Blanda comes to mind. Or I wonder if that's ever, well, I can't say it's ever happened since because it just happened today. So having it happened since doesn't make any sense. What is wrong with me? What a stupid I am. But you got to admit, that is completely and totally remarkable. 
Last thing before I let you go, I got to get a college basketball thing. And what in the heck is going on with Kentucky? The Big Blue Nation, I ask you a very simple question. What the hell's going on? I think John Calipari is a terrific basketball coach. I'm not talking about recruiter. I'm talking about basketball coach. He's obviously a great recruiter. But as a basketball coach, I would argue nobody works harder with his team mentally and physically. But when I watch Kentucky, and I told my friend the great Seth Greenberg this, when I watch Kentucky, I see an average team. I don't see a team that has great talent. We talked to Tom Crean about that the other day. There was a day when it was John Wall and Boogie Cousins and Derek Miller and all these guys. Or you had the Harrison brothers and you got Anthony Davis and you got uh, that Jones guy shooting shots and you got people left and right, Gilchrist and Euless and Devin Booker and Jamal Murray and guys that go into the NBA and they score big numbers, big amount of points in the freaking NBA playoffs which is where men are made in the NBA. The heck is going on here? Look, in college basketball, it's great that Alabama is good. I loved watching and texting with Bruce Pearl. Let's get Bruce on the show next week. I love all of it. But basketball is better when Kentucky is good because the big blue nation are so insane, so much fun, so nuts, so incredible in their support of Kentucky basketball that they literally did this in the Bahamas. The game was at four in the Bahamas. Nice weather. Game was at four. Seth Greenberg, myself, were with the Kentucky team. We were doing a clinic. We were doing a, a fantasy camp. We were coaching a team. So we were there in the gym with these guys at around 8, 8.30. I walk to the gym around 8, 8.30 in the Bahamas, and there is a line of people sitting on the floor where the gate at 3 o'clock is going to open. It's 8 or 8.30 in the morning in the Bahamas. And these folks wanted to get the best seats. So they lined up at 8. Maybe I asked one. They said he got here at 7.30 in the front of the line. That's what is needed in college basketball. Indiana being good is needed in college basketball. Kentucky being good is needed in college basketball. There aren't a lot of Kentuckys and Indianas in college basketball where the place is just sold out and it's all basketball. Kansas, UConn, Indiana, Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, Syracuse. There's just not a lot. Remember, there's 350 teams in college basketball, 120 or 140 in college football. So ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what to tell you. But Kentucky stinks, and I'll give Cal Perry credit. He told me this. He said, look, I want to renew the series with Indiana. But I ain't doing it this year because Indiana should be good. They've been okay. And Kentucky, we're young. But damn, nobody, and I mean nobody in the history of Kentucky has ever accepted, hey, we're Kentucky. We're young. Kentucky. Let's go, Cal. Let's go. All right, tomorrow we're going to preview both national championship games. 
Uh, spoiler alert, I got Ohio State winning two games. And I will tell you this. I will tell you, if, if Ohio State and Michigan play, I'm going to try to use my, well, my incredible national reputation and get two passes, one for me and my wife, media passes to that game. Because that game, I got to be around it if that happens. We'll break it down with Urban Meyer tomorrow. Can't wait. Congratulations to my boy, Jason Bonetti. He's going to call his televised first NFL game for Fox this weekend. People ask, why leave ESPN and come to Outkick? I want to be at ESPN. Then all of a sudden, Benetti did it. Then a bunch of guys did it. And you're like, wait a second. We're starting to understand. Anyway, have a wonderful afternoon. I am going to sun my backside in a thong. I'm going to beat my wife in golf. Then I'm probably going to beat her in pickleball. Then I'm going to dress up sexy. And she's going to dress up sexy. And we're going to go to a nice dinner. But first... I must say thank you to all of you, both on the YouTube chat and here. Salute, enjoy, country roads, take me home.